0: But I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 18 in your Bible. Uh, and the scripture reading says John 18, through 40. I will actually, uh, this morning, just be reading through verse 38. And uh, I'm going to read the passage as it is in the ESV. I hate to be beat a dead horse here, but I've commented before about this tricky term, eudaioi, that has multiple translations. The Jews in verses 31, 36, and 38 in our passage refer to the wealthy elite Judeans who run the temple system. It doesn't refer to the masses. It is these specific leaders, not the common people who want to hand Jesus over to Pilate for execution. In verses 33 and 35, where Jesus is called the king of the Jews, or Pilate asks, am I a Jew? Uh, This is clearly a more inclusive term that refers to the nation as a whole. Just a reminder uh, that sometimes this term means certain Jews, and sometimes it means the nation. Uh, And by reminding us of that, maybe it's a small remedy uh, to how these verses have been used in damaging ways in the church's history. Uh, So I'm going to read John chapter 18, verses 28 to 38. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Jesus answered, "'My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world.' Then Pilate said to him, "'So you are a king?' Jesus answered, "'You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born.'" And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word endures forever. Uh, we're in the final section now of John's gospel. We're looking at the arrest the trial, the passion of Jesus. And we're at a portion this morning written into our most basic Christian creed. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Uh, Jesus' interaction with Pilate that we're looking at this morning revolves around the nature of his kingdom. And Jesus explains his kingdom in terms of two concepts, power and truth. Uh, That's important for us in a moment uh, where power is more important to a lot of people than truth. Uh, A certain kind of power, which is not the kind of power uh, that belongs to Jesus' kingdom. Uh, So let me just give you a little bit of context for our passage. Jesus is brought now to Pilate's residence. The Judean leaders will not enter into that residence. They're worried about ceremonial uncleanness. They want to make sure they won't become defiled and ruin their celebration of the great Passover feast. Uh, There's actually no Old Testament law that says you can't enter the house of a Gentile. I think the religious leaders here are being scrupulous. They want to make sure that they are clean for Passover and they miss how they are contributing to the death of the Passover lamb. Uh, just an aside, I've learned in my own ministry to be cautious when I see people who are overly scrupulous. Uh, it's often accompanied by significant blind spots as religious activities can become cover for other larger sins. So if I can be right about this point of doctrine or practice, maybe somehow that evens the scales for being a bad husband or holding on to unforgiving attitudes towards someone else or some other moral failure. And here you have these leaders who are very concerned about their ritual holiness and are blind to what's going on in terms of their own moral holiness. Uh, There's this little bit of an amusing dialogue where Pilate asks what crime Jesus has committed and the response of the leaders is, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him to you, Uh, which is really not an answer to the question. It's just a way of saying, trust us. Uh, Don't worry about what the charge is. And verse 31 is clear. The leaders already know what they want. They want to put Jesus to death, something that they cannot do under Roman rule. Uh, yes, they could stone Jesus in some mob violence like Saul did with Stephen, uh, but this could turn the people against them. Better if Jesus is crucified for treason on a Roman cross. Uh, and John doesn't want us to miss that their desire to dispose of Jesus in this way actually contributes to God's plan. Verse 32 Uh, John makes the comment, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And that's a reference back to chapter 12 where Jesus says, I must be lifted up. Uh, Jesus will not die under a heap of stones. He will be raised up on a Roman cross so that he can draw all men to himself. Uh, Now, Pilate is not inclined to take the word of the Judean leaders, and so he starts his own inquiry with Jesus. Now, let me tell you something about Pilate. Pilate had a difficult job. Pilate is the governor of Roman-occupied Judea, uh, and this is an area where no one really knew who was in charge. Uh, Was it Pilate's? Was it the influential high priest? Was it the religiously organized and powerful Sanhedrin? Or the religiously popular prophets like John the Baptist who had the favor of the people? Or the extremist groups like the zealots? Pilate's job was to manage all of these factions and competing claims for influence and power. He was to keep the lid ...on the pressure cooker... ...so as not to aggravate the emperor. Uh, And to live this way... ...you have to be pragmatic. You are concerned about what works... ...and what will keep things from blowing up. And now Pilate is facing Jesus... ...and he wants to do with Jesus... ...what he has done for his entire career. He wants to manage the situation and dispose of a problem. And this leads to a famous dialogue about Jesus' kingdom. In verse 33, Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? Uh, Jesus responds, Are you sure you really want to know? Pilate's thinking to himself, Are you a rival to Caesar? Are you a threat of some kind? And Jesus makes this important statement in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. Let's talk about what this statement does mean, or what it doesn't mean, and what it does mean. Uh, Jesus does not mean when he says, My kingdom is not of this world, that he does not mean that his kingdom is far away in another dimension that is called heaven. He's not talking about geography and location. He also does not mean that His kingdom is immaterial, that it never gets manifested here on earth in concrete ways. And we know that that is not what Jesus means, because otherwise He would not have taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. And Revelation 11.15 would not say, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he also doesn't mean that his kingdom is just about, quote, spiritual matters like justification and faith and worship. But it never touches on earthly political matters about how we build a just and compassionate society. I think we're rightly concerned when people try to use the faith to accomplish their political purposes. And there's a lot of that going on right now. But then we might swing to the opposite extreme and say, well, the faith doesn't have any implications for any of that. It's just about spiritual truth, and it never impacts how we work or how we live or how we vote. And we ignore that the Bible regularly addresses issues that involve social, economic, and political realities. Uh, And so I think it's a shame when people quote this verse, as they often do, uh, as a way of making sure the gospel never gets to challenge our political sensibilities. And it's one thing to say that the church is not a political party, or the church is not a political action committee, which is certainly true. Uh, It's another thing to say that our political opinions can be hermetically sealed off from the gospel so that the two never touch or intermingle in any way whatsoever. Uh, and I think as we've had this trifecta over the last, you know, year and a half now of the pandemic and racial unrest and nationalism, it's become clear to a lot of us, uh, the church has to speak in some way into social and political realities if it's going to have a full-orbed gospel mission. So then, What is Jesus saying? ...in verse 36... ...when he says, my kingdom is not of this world... ...or my kingdom is not from this world. Well, at a basic level... ...Jesus is saying that his kingdom... ...is God's world... ...coming into our world. Jesus' kingdom is God's world... ...coming into our world... And Jesus goes on to unpack this in terms of two things, power and truth. So note, the very next comment that Jesus makes after he says, My kingdom is not of this world, is, uh, If it were, my servants would be fighting. In other words... Jesus' kingdom not being of this world has an immediate implication of what kind of power do you use? What kind of power do you trust? Jesus' kingdom has a different kind of power structure than the kingdoms of the world. Uh, So the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms of the nations, they are inherently tribal and nationalistic, uh, they are about defending and advancing their own power, uh, and that's why they use the sword. Uh, and there's this perpetual conflict of uh, putting ourselves over other people. And Jesus says elsewhere, "...the rulers of the Gentiles lord authority over people, but it should not be so among you. Rather, let every man become a servant." And you see, Jesus is talking about a different kind of power. His kingdom operates with a different kind of power. Now, sometimes you will hear people describe this contrast as power over versus power under. uh, Or maybe lion power versus lamb power, using that image of Revelation 5, where John hears the announcement about the Lion of Judah but then turns and sees a slain lamb. Uh, The power of God's kingdom is found in lovingly placing ourselves under, not over, other people, which doesn't mean we let them walk all over us, uh, but that we serve and sacrifice and are more concerned for others than for ourselves. We reflect the ethic of the one who came in loving concern for us and went to the cross. Uh, And Jesus, in his ministry, consistently rejected power over when people tried to make him king, when he entered the city on a donkey, when he washed the feet of his disciples, when he healed the ear of Malchus, His entire life from the incarnation to Calvary was about embodying sacrificial love. And you see, power under can do what power over cannot, and that is transform the hearts of your enemies. Uh, And establishing God's rule through love in a way that the sword never can. So Jesus' kingdom being of this world means We trust the power of the cross, not the power of the sword, or might, or coercion. Uh, So just to put it this way, wherever you see coercion, force, control, shame, or social pressure, that's the kingdom of the world, both the political right and the political left are the kingdoms of this world. If you think the main battle in the world is the right versus the left, you're missing that in Jesus' view, both of those things are the kingdoms of this world. They are about getting and using power. And let me say this, even some churches are functionally the kingdom of this world. Because if you've ever been a part of a church that operates based on shame or social pressure or the abusive threats of church discipline by leaders, that's a worldly church, no matter how much gospel they are giving you from the pulpit. Because God's kingdom moves forward with a non-coercive influence where the Holy Spirit renews our hearts as we serve in sacrificial love. So, Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom with a different kind of power. And the second way that Jesus talks about his kingdom is in relationship to truth. So, Pilate hears Jesus talk about a kingdom. He thinks he's got it figured out. He says in verse 37, ah, so you are a king. Pilate is still stuck on whether Jesus has imperial ambitions. Jesus has already assured Pilate he's not that kind of sovereign who secures his rule by arms. Now he tells Pilate the goal of his kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of truth. Look at what he says in verse 37. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Uh, you've probably been so caught up in a situation before that it took someone from the outside to help you see it clearly. Uh, truth is often something that comes from the outside, and Jesus comes from the outside. He comes from outside of our sinful and broken world to show us the truth about God, about the world, and about ourselves. He is the ultimate revealer of truth. And I want to just call attention to that comment at the end of verse 37. Uh, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Uh, Because I I love this comment. Everyone who is of the truth, or really we might say, everyone who belongs to the truth. You see, the attitude in Jesus' kingdom is not, the truth belongs to us. We have it. Other people don't, and so they better listen to us. The attitude in Jesus' kingdom is, we belong to the truth. Not that the truth is on our side, but we are on its side. Wherever it may be found, whatever it exposes about us and our weaknesses and our failures. And if we see ourselves as the custodians of the truth, the truth belongs to us. Who will we listen to? Well, we will listen to ourselves. The voices of people who think and act just like we do. Our party, our favorite news outlet, our faction. Look again at what Jesus says. People who belong to the truth, listen to my voice. Uh, If we spend all day long listening to our own voice, it becomes impossible to hear the voice of Jesus. And so Jesus is talking about his kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom of truth. The people belong to the truth. They listen to his voice of truth. And then look at Pilate's response. Pilate's response is, what is truth? Now, this is where we'd love to hear a recording of Pilate's actual tone of voice. Because I don't think that he's pondering the great philosophical question of truth. You know, he's, he's like the thinker, you know. What is truth? You know, I, I think that Pilate is being dismissive and skeptical, even cynical. Truth. What is truth? Pilate's whole career is about appeasing competing factions so he can stay out of trouble. Truth, if you are someone like Pilate is irrelevant and what matters as we said is what works an attitude that plenty of people have i also think that Pilate has stated the question wrongly it really ought to be not what is truth but who is the truth the irony of the question what is truth is that Pilate is staring truth in the face Uh, That's a saying we have, that sometimes truth is staring you in the face. That is what is happening here. Pilate has no clue that the person who stands before him is the truth in human flesh. Uh, I can't escape the fact that in Pilate there is a warning here for us. What happens if you immerse yourself in the political agendas of the kingdoms of this world? What happens if you are more concerned about power than truth? What happens if you let your heart and mind be shaped by all the political debates of our culture more than by Jesus' voice? You become someone who can't recognize the truth even when he's staring you in the face. Uh, I've said before That God is in the process of refining and reshaping the church in America. Uh, Right now, don't tell me someone names the name of Christ. Tell me, what kind of power do they trust? And what voices are they spending their time listening to? Uh, Is it the kind of power that belongs to Jesus' kingdom? Uh, And is it the voice of the King? Uh, Beloved, we are part of a different kingdom, a kingdom that is real, but it does not advance by power or spin, a kingdom that in our text advances by a Savior who finds power in humility and submission to God's will. People who are part of that kingdom live like he did with sacrifice and humility and self-denial, taking up their cross, listening to his voice, not demanding their rights, but owning their duties, because those people know there is a bigger kingdom to live for, and there is a greater king to serve than anything we find in the kingdoms and the nations of this world. Amen? Let's pray together.